Good morning, Mission View. How are you guys doing this morning? Man, it's great to see everybody here, that, here and um, um, we're just excited to worship this morning. I wanted to just take a minute and introduce our uh, preacher this morning, Evan Miller. Uh, Evan's one of our deacons. He's also one of our community group leaders, and I'm so thankful that he was able to take the time to prepare a sermon for us this morning. Um, I've heard him preach before, and it's, it's awesome. He's a great preacher. I'm so thankful that he's willing to use his gifts uh, for the body and for us, so um, we're thankful for him this morning. One other thing I wanted to make you aware of, too, is I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but we're in a pandemic. And um, the elders and I have been praying and, and talking through what, what a Christian response should be and moreover what Mission View's response should be um, in a time like this where pressure's coming in, where uncertain, uncertainty's right here in our face. We, we um, have been praying through that and we feel like God has given us a clear direction to move for Mission View Church. So next week, um, I'm going to be sharing about um, how we live in a pandemic time, and what the mission and vision of Mission View Church looks like in this pandemic and for the kingdom of God. So we're really excited to be able to share that with you um, next Sunday. Um, So we welcome you back for that. But um, let's pray uh, before Evan shares our word this morning. Well, Father, we thank you for Evan, the gifts that you've given him. We're so thankful that he's using them for your kingdom here with us. God, we pray for soft hearts. We pray that your Holy Spirit would bring these words from your scriptures alive in our lives. We are dependent on your work, God. So Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Change us. Grow us. Sanctify us for your kingdom and for your glory. God, we submit to your authority, your word today. And we say, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's welcome Evan this morning. Thanks, Evan. Thanks, Matt. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Pastor Matt. Thanks for having me here and, and being able to preach. It's been amazing to be a part of this church. I've been here since, uh, since the church began as a church plant, and it's been exciting to see the, the path that this church is heading in, and I believe God has us in always a unique time, but there's a special time for us here, um, especially as Mission View Church, as we relate to the world, as we go out, and as we share the gospel with, with the unbelieving world that's out there. Um, So this morning, what we want to do, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. If you want to turn there with me, please. Philippians 2, and we're in verses 5, and we're going to verse 11. So we're just looking at six verses this morning. It's not a lot in terms of ground of Bible to cover, but it's going to feel like a lot. It's going to feel like we're drinking water through a fire hose here this morning. But what I want us to do is... I want us to look at this passage, and I think we're going to see this passage as being like a diamond today. It's, like I say, only a couple verses, but it sparkles brightly from whatever angle that you look at it. And I think you will be mesmerized by its beauty. You know, I got to be honest with you, sometimes I feel like I'm in a rut. And especially lately, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've been in a rut since, I don't know, about March 16th, March 17th, March 18th. It it feels like I'm in a rut and I'm not going to get out of it. And sometimes, you know, you feel like you can get stuck in a rut with all these outward circumstances. You feel like you can, these can bleed over into your, your spiritual life. And it feels like, you know, our focus can be off with our walk with Christ. And it's not that we stopped believing in God. It's not that we stopped 
uh, reading the Bible. It's not that we've, you know, stopped these things. We haven't forgotten about his grace, but sometimes we need to be reminded that Jesus is better than everything, and Jesus is better than anything, and that Jesus is in control. So my goal for our time this morning is that we will view Jesus and we will view the gospel that he has for us with awe and wonder. And I hope that when you walk out of here this morning, we feel refreshed with what God has done through Jesus. So our passage begins here, verse 5, here this morning. If you'll follow along with me, I'm just going to read the passage starting at verse 5. So Philippians 2, 5. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So our passage this morning begins with a command in verse 5. The Apostle Paul says, Have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours, in Christ Jesus. So Paul is writing specifically to the church in Philippi, but this command applies to all believers in all churches in all time. That's us, right? That's Mission View Church. And Paul presents to us the most perfect example of humility. He wants us to have this attitude of humility that Jesus has shown us all throughout the scriptures. But he wants us to have this attitude of humility so amongst us we have a, a unity. So that we have a unity that, that, is, that, is, that, that is able to grow in a great environment. And this morning Paul presents the perfect example of this and it's the humility of Jesus. This is the most perfect example that the world has ever seen. The incarnation of Jesus or Jesus coming to earth is unlike anything God has ever done. The incarnation is the central point of all of human history. We literally divide time by when Jesus was born on earth. Time is divided by B.C., which is before Christ, and A.D., which is Anoni Domini, the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what A.D. stands for, right? And everyone has something to say about Jesus and his incarnation. Everyone has something to say about Jesus and the way that he walked the earth and the impact that he had as he walked the earth. His impact still dwells today. We see it from different, uh, di different things around us in society. We see it from people that have walked before us. Consider this quote from Napoleon. Napoleon says, I know men. And Napoleon is a conqueror, right? I know men. And I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person that the world has ever seen, there is no possible term in terms of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Consider what the author and the historian H.G. Wells says. He says, I am a historian. I am not a believer. But I must confess that as a historian... 
that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the center of human history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. Or how about Albert Einstein? He says, I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. No one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. So the primary purpose of the passage that we're looking at is to motivate Christians to live with humility by examining the incarnation of Jesus. Now, humility can be defined as thinking of others as higher than yourself and pursuing the needs of others before your own. And in a moment, we will see a series of ways that Jesus humbled himself to come to us. But this command that we have here, the Apostle Paul says, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. So verse 5, again, Paul is telling us to have this mind. He's saying true humility should come from within side of us. It should be in our minds because Christ has transformed our mind. And he is continually, the spirit is continually renewing it. It shouldn't just be in our actions. It should be in our minds. It should be in our hearts. When we think of others, when we interact with others, when we are with others, we should think of them in a way that we see them as better than ourselves. It's not just behavior modification. To be humble is a heart change. If you think about it, humility is the most important virtue to the Christian life. No one enters the kingdom of God with a proud look and a puffed up chest. We come with our heads bowed. We come with a posture of submission and an attitude of humility. And if you think about it, humility is the key to any kind of spiritual growth. If you are humble, you will grow spiritually because you are sensitive to your sin, you are sensitive to your shortcomings, you are able to be taught, and in humility, you will grow in sanctification and in holiness because you will take what you learn and you will apply it. It will go from your head to your heart. But if you aren't humble, you won't grow. If you're proud, you won't grow. And if you're filled with pride, you will be useless in God's kingdom. Humility is the foundation to healthy relationships. Humility is the foundation to healthy marriages. Humility causes you to think of your spouse in a manner that puts their needs and their desires first. Humility causes marriage to have a position of grace with one another and to pursue unity together. So the only possible way for relationships, the only possible way for friendships, and the only possible way for the church to grow with sweet fellowship And to have an impact in the community is by everyone adopting an attitude of humility. And when we take on humility, we are more like Jesus than we can ever be. We are most like Jesus when we pursue an attitude of humility. But pursuing humility, it's not easy. We know that. Pursuing humility is a lifelong battle. By the time you realize that maybe you have some humility in you, you become proud of that fact, right? That's the, that's the challenge. That is the battle that we face. It is, the struggle is real. So let's look at the example of Jesus. In verse 6, we see Jesus, he humbles himself in his preexistence. And I'll talk about what that word means here in a second. So verse 6, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Jesus 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. So the first way Jesus humbles himself this morning is he leaves heaven behind. Jesus leaves heaven behind. And I want us to think of this. There's never been a time where Jesus hasn't existed. Jesus is eternal. Jesus was not created. He was always uh, with God the Father before he came to earth. He always dwelled in heaven. That's what we call the pre-existence of Jesus. The scriptures say that Jesus has owned everything and everything was created by Jesus and everything was created for Jesus. But he did not consider equality with God. He did not consider his status with God as a thing to be grasped. So he is over all creation. All things were created by him. All things were created for him. He is over all visible powers. He is over all invisible powers. Everything is beneath him and the fullness of God is dwelling in him, but he did not use his status as something to be grasped. Consider this. Before Jesus came to earth, he was in heaven. Heaven is the place we dream of. Heaven is the place of perfect existence. Heaven is the place where there is no pain, where there's no hunger, where there's no famines, where there's no wars, where there are no tears, where, where, there's, where it's not controlled by time. You know, here we wear wristwatches. We have clocks on the wall. We are controlled by time. We are slaves to time. There are no clocks in heaven because it is not controlled by time. And here on earth there is crime. And to protect ourselves, what do we do? We lock our doors at night to our houses and to our cars because people cannot be trusted and we do that to be safe. And we have laws because people cannot be trusted and people cannot obey those laws. So we have to have police officers and we have to have lawyers and we have to have courts to punish the people that commit the crimes. There's no sin in heaven and because there is no sin, there is no crime. But imagine this, Jesus chose to leave the comfort of heaven behind to come to earth. Jesus left behind the most perfect place to come to a broken world. And not only did he give up the comfort of heaven, but he gave up his position. He experienced face-to-face fellowship with God the Father. And he shared in God's divine glory and God's majesty. He was clothed in robes of righteousness and splendor. But he chose not to grasp his status. He chose to open his hands and he chose with open hands to come to us. He could have said, no, you know, I don't, I don't know about this. Like, I'm God, I don't, going to earth, we don't want those two to mix, we don't want those two to mingle, but he chose not to grasp that, and he was a giver and not a grasper. Jesus did not consider his position as something he could use to his own advantage, but for the benefit of others. What does that tell you about the heart of God? What does that say about the kindness of our Savior? You know, typically in the world, we think about people using power to their own advantage, I mean, I don't know about you, I'm wondering this week which crooked politician we're going to hear about that has used their advantage for their own power, right? And not only do we hear those things, that makes us outraged because there is, there is, uh, there, there's, there's, a, there's a shady thing going on here. There's, there's theft and there's stealing and they're using it for their own advantage. But we're also thinking about the things where they could have used their position to help people, but they didn't. Jesus does none of these things. He doesn't grasp his own position and use it for himself. So that was the first thing that Jesus did. The first step downward was Jesus left heaven behind. The second step downward is Jesus took the form of a servant. 
This is the second way Jesus humbled himself. He took the form of a servant. Let's look at verse 7. Speaking of Jesus, Paul says, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So, in order for Jesus to make his way to us, Jesus humbled himself, number one, leaving heaven behind. And now in verse 7, Jesus also chose to empty himself to become a servant. Now, this can be a speed bump here if you're not careful. The ESV translation of the Bible says Jesus emptied himself. If I have a bottled water and I empty the bottled water, I'm taking something that was inside and I'm losing something. I'm losing the water, right? So we've got to be careful here. This sounds complicated, but it doesn't have to be. This isn't saying that Jesus stopped fully becoming God when he came to earth. This isn't saying that Jesus was half God and half man. This is saying that Jesus was emptying himself of his reputation, that Jesus was emptying himself of special privileges, that Jesus was emptying himself of any special treatment to become a servant. And this isn't like Jesus didn't become like the servants like you see on, on TV. You know, in the, in the 80s, you had the TV show Mr. Belvedere who served in a household, or, or more recently, you have the TV show Downton Abbey, right? where servants come and go. They come into the household and they leave and they have rights outside of the household. They may own property outside of the household. Jesus, this was not this kind of servant. The word for servant that's used here in the Greek is better translated to mean slave. The word that's used here is doulos. And this means slave in the most extreme sense, where someone gives up their rights, where someone is giving up everything. And in Jesus' day... Slaves didn't have rights. Jesus gave up his position and his rights to become a slave. So let that sink in. He came from the highest possible place in the heavens, the place of all comfort, and he lowered himself to the lowest possible place on earth, a slave. The scripture says Jesus owned everything, right? Yet he chose to come to earth penniless just like a slave. Jesus never owned a piece of land, never had a bank account, never attended a school for higher learning, never owned a house, and many of these things we find security and comfort in. Many of these things we build our reputation in. There was no rolling out of the red carpet. There were no bodyguards for protection for Jesus. There was no decorated palace of comfort. He truly emptied himself of any and all special privileges. You know, in our society, we admire people who work from the bottom to get their way to the top. We like rags to riches story. We like to see people pull themselves up by their bootstraps. We celebrate these stories from rags of riches. But Jesus was the opposite. Jesus worked his way from the top to come to the bottom. Jesus willingly went from riches to rags. And this was the cost to come to you and I. This was the cost to purchase your salvation. Jesus humbled himself by emptying himself to come to you. And if this wasn't enough, we're going to read further, and we're going to see another example here in verse 7. Jesus continues the downward journey of humility by taking another step downward by becoming a man. In the latter part, verse, of, verse 7 here, we just read the first part here, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So he's left heaven behind, comes to earth as a servant, now he's born as a man. And because Jesus comes to earth as a man, he experienced 
and put on the human body. He experiences the limitations of the human body, the human frame. You know, although the human body is fearfully and wonderfully made, but I mean, come on, guys. Let's think about these limitations that we have here, right? It becomes hungry. You have to feed it. Jesus became thirsty. Jesus became tired. Jesus needed to sleep. He felt emotions like we do. And we know how emotions are tough ones. They can control us. Jesus, there were times where he became sad and he cried tears. And this is a wonderful thought because God became like us. This shows God's kindness to us. Who are we that God would be mindful of us, but not only that, would come to us and become like us, put on human flesh? The sovereign one would put on human flesh so that he could identify with us. And since he was born a man, he was subject to the same temptations that we are, the same trials that we are, the same pain that we go through. And he didn't give in to it. And what a great encouragement this morning that that is for us. And in our time of need, that we can have somebody to go to who understands us better than any doctor or any counselor. We can go to him in our temptation and our pain and our suffering and our trials, and we know that he has been there as well. There's no one more qualified in our time of need. In addition to Jesus being able to relate as a human, the other great thing for him, coming as a man, he came as a man so that he could fulfill all of, our right, all of righteousness that we needed to fulfill because we, we are not good people. If we compare our lives to the Ten Commandments, yeah, you can name a couple of them, right? Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Uh, if you compare your life to those Ten Commandments and you look at your life into that standard, we're going to strike out every single time. We're not going to get past one or two. We don't, even, we don't even need to look at the rest, right? Let alone the whole of God's law, the whole rest of it, right? We can't obey God's law perfectly, but Jesus did, and Jesus could. This is why it's so important that you, you never compromise the incarnation and the perfect life of Christ. Because when Jesus came to earth, this wasn't just something where he could be, be you know, beamed down in a, in a spaceship and come here for a week and die and then go back. And it was, you know, this is why he was here for over 30 years, because he walked in obedience. He grew in obedience. He obeyed God's law perfectly. He, he, he obeyed every part of God's law perfectly. And, 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 and never fell into sin, never gave in to weakness. And because he fulfilled the law perfectly, when, when he went to the cross, we're able to have our, our sin forgiven, right? That's great. That's number one. We get our sin forgiven. We get our slate wiped clean. But number two, what's even better than that, a transaction happens. When you trust in Christ, a transaction happens. God imputes or God puts in you the perfect righteousness that Christ had. The perfect life that Christ lived is inside of you. It is imputed into you so that when God looks at you today, he sees the perfect life of Christ inside of you. And on that day when we stand before him, he sees that perfect light too. But how great is that that now we are, we are justified before God? God sees us as having that perfect, that perfect righteousness that Christ lived for. And if he wasn't born a man, he couldn't do that. If he wasn't born a man, there would be no salvation from sin. There would be no freedom from death. There would be no fulfillment of the law. There would be no gospel. We would be slaves of fear. We would be controlled by that. Can you imagine what that would be 
like going through the events that we go through nowadays? Oh, man. And just as his life was perfect, his death on the cross was perfect, as we see in verse 8. Jesus humbles himself yet again. I mean, how is that possible? Look how, look how much he's given up so far. Verse 8, Jesus humbles himself in his death and in his crucifixion. Look at verse 8, if you will. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by, becoming, by, by, death, by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus took one more step here to humble himself. He became obedient unto the point of death. I mean, death is the most humbling aspect of human life. Now, if we're honest here, I mean, we don't have any control over this. We don't get to pick when, when death comes knocking at our door. And all of humanity is sentenced to die because of sin. All humans will die. Jesus himself was the only one that was free from sin. Therefore, death had no control over him, but he chose to submit himself to death. And Jesus chose to humble himself to not just any kind of death, not just dying in his sleep, but he chose to submit himself to the the most horrible kind of death that the world has ever known, the most humiliating death, the most painful death, the most exhausting kind of death, the most embarrassing and humiliating kind of death is crucifixion. Now, you may be tempted at this point to feel pity for Jesus or feel sorry for him, but you've got to remember here, nobody humbled Jesus. The Romans didn't humble Jesus. Herod didn't humble Jesus. Pontius Pilate didn't humble Jesus. The crowds didn't humble Jesus. At every level, Jesus was at full control, and every step downward, it was his decision, and that's what makes this even more beautiful. It was his choice. This is what he wanted to do. He counted the cost to come to us. And on that road to the cross, he faced the most degrading death in the most humiliating way. You know, the road to to the cross, when you think about it, Jesus was arrested. He was facing a fake trial. He was mocked. He was made fun of. He was falsely accused. He was spat upon. He was beaten with fists. He was whipped. He was beaten with a cat of nine tails. He, his, his flesh was torn open. His beard was ripped out of his face. The accusers, they mocked him and laughed at him. And as all of this was happening, they made a crown of thorns and jammed it on his skull. And then they forced him to carry his cross where he would be killed. And on that place that he would hang and die, they drove spikes through his wrist and through his feet. And here we have the sovereign creator. We have our beautiful Lord. Dying the most painful death that you can imagine. Enduring an abandonment. And he was publicly shamed. And then he had God's wrath poured out on him. And this all took place on a hill that he created in eternity past. No one will ever humble themselves as low as Jesus had. The one who created the stars and the galaxies was willing to suffer a criminal's death to bring you and I closer to God. But just as no one else will humble themselves lower than than Jesus ever have, 
No one else will be exalted as higher than Jesus ever will be exalted, as we see here in verse 9. Look at, we, at, we, look at this with me in verse 9. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. And, and this is awesome because the, the story doesn't end here with the, with the death of Jesus. We see the exaltation of Jesus. So after humbling himself to the lowest possible point, Jesus was exalted back to the highest possible place. The first part of his exaltation here, the first part was the resurrection from the dead. And we know that that was a, that was a past event that happened. That is, that, is, that is done and that is exciting, that is true, that's what we celebrate. That's where our hope lies because everything that, that Jesus did and said and every promise that he made, it proved that it was true. And then we have the second exaltation where Jesus ascended into heaven Jesus ascended back into heaven. He extended back in the proper place of glory, back to the right hand of the Father, the highest place of authority where he rules. And that's where he is today. That's what's happening presently. That's the present exaltation where Jesus is. And that's, that's awesome too because we know that he's in charge. There's going to be a final exaltation where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And that's the one that is to come. And no one gets a pass at that one. Everyone will be there. No one can hide. Every person in the world from all times of history will be there. Every, every person will one day bow before the exalted Jesus. You know, we did the math for you. Ten out of ten people die. A hundred percent of people will stand before Jesus. And, but on this day, some will bow with deep gratitude, with excitement, with joy, and for some on that day, that's going to be exciting. That's the day that we look forward to, that we get to meet Jesus face to face. That's going to be a day of, of victory and excitement because we'll be able to spend eternity with Jesus and we'll be ushered off to heaven. We'll be able to spend that with Jesus. If you think about it, that's the exaltation we'll get to share and we'll be exalted up with Jesus in that day. You know, when you think about this passage, the Christian life is a life of humility before exaltation. The Christian life is a life of suffering before glory. We even follow to a certain degree the way, the same pattern that Jesus followed here. We pick up our cross, we carry it, and one day we will be exalted. But while God's people will bow with excitement, the Bible says that many that many will bow with regret, with shame, with disappointment on that day as they realize that their fate is hell for all eternity. I mean, all of human history, guys, is moving towards this point. You will be there, I will be there, your loved ones will be there. And friends, eternity is a long time. Your life is a vapor. You want to be sure where you stand before God. We're here for a short amount of time and then we go off with eternity which is forever. Don't, hit your, don't let your head hit the pillow tonight until you've asked yourself this question of where your soul is resting. Have you made peace with God? The Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, he will reveal himself to you. The Bible says if you cry out to him, he will show himself to you. He will reveal himself to you and, and, and you will be able to be made right before him. So for those of you who haven't come to Jesus, remember that the point of the passage is that we need to have the same humility. And the question is not, will you bow to Jesus? The careful question is, when will you bow to Jesus? Will you bow to Jesus now? 
and live a life of submission to him? Or will you bow to Jesus later when it's too late and spend an eternity that is separated from God, an eternity that is spent in hell? Now, Jesus stands here ready this morning to save you. And again, the Bible says if you cry out to him, he will not turn away. Now, let me speak to those who have trusted in Jesus, those who are believers this morning, those who believe in Jesus. Remember, the point of this passage is that we're to have this mindset as a church amongst each other. So how are you doing with that? If Jesus was willing to give up all that he gave up, in what areas of our lives are we being tightly gripped in? In what ways are we grasping our status and using it to our advantage? In what ways are we using our comforts to benefit ourselves? Where are you being selfish with your time and your resources and your attention? In what areas of your life do you need to bring into submission to Jesus' lordship? So this morning, we need to stay focused and we need to remember here in, in 2020 that God has positioned this church during times like this for a purpose, because while the world is busy grasping and clutching and fighting, let that not be true of the church. Remember the attitude and the mindset of Christ. Remember all that he gave up to come to us. And Mission View Church, this morning, remember that we get to participate in the greatest rescue mission that the world has ever seen. Don't lose sight of this. Jesus left heaven to come to us. So as a church, how are we able to respond to take this message to those who don't know Jesus? How far are you willing to go? You know, the church has the answers the, lo- the world's longing to look for. The, the church has the answers that the world is longing for. We have the answers. We have the key to life. Nothing is more purposeful. Nothing is more beautiful. So Mission View Church, have this attitude amongst you. We are a local church that stands as a beacon of hope where the weary can find rest in the arms of the humble and the exalted Savior. Bow with me, please. Lord Jesus, we bow before you this morning. We bow our heads. We bow our hearts. We are thankful for all that you have done, for the prices you have paid, for the cost that you have paid, for all the things that you have done to leave behind to come to us. When we realize that this morning, our hearts are humbled. Please let us be mindful of this as we go forward. Let us be changed here. Don't let just this be a one-time event. Stir our hearts so that this body, when it goes out, can be your hands and feet. We know that the times we live in are no mistake. We know that you are not surprised by anything that takes place in the world today. It, has, it, it, is, it is it's all pushing forward. It is all rushing forward to the day where we will meet you face to face. Don't let us waste this time. Don't let us waste the opportunities. Let us be vigilant and be looking and to be proactive the same way that you actively came to us, the same way you actively pursued us. Stir our hearts and our minds this morning thank you for all that you did for us on that cross and I thank you for all that you will continue to do through us but let this be our attitude this morning and in Jesus name I pray